Andrew Talks to Chefs is an independent podcast. For current and past episodes, Andrew's blog, contact information, and more, please visit andrewtalkstochefs.com. To support us, please visit patreon.com slash andrewtalkstochefs. Enjoy the show. I'm Massimo Bottura. This is Amanda Cohen. This is David Kinch. This is Mike Anthony. This is Huni Kim. This is Amanda Freitag. This is Richard Blaze. This is Paul Kahn. This is Curtis Stein. This is Stephen Harris. This is Missy Robbins. And you're listening to Andrew Talks to Chefs. First week of March, things started to get serious. You know, I'm looking at an empty demolished dining room too far to turn back now can't really go to the landlord and say hey so we signed this lease and all these legally binding documents and uh i just demolished the entire dining room that was here before and you know what we don't really want to go with forward with construction let's go back and uh, you know i couldn't say that so i literally was looking at uh this project that that was too far gone uh, to turn back. That is the voice of Aaron Bluthorn of Bluthorn Restaurant in Houston, Texas. He is our guest today on Andrew Talks to Chefs. It's gonna take a prolonged arrangement of the senses to make some sense of this. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Andrew Talks to Chefs. I am your host, Andrew Friedman, and our guest today is my friend, my dear friend, Aaron Bluthorn, who is the chef owner of the relatively new restaurant Bluthorn in Houston, Texas. More about Aaron in just a moment. First, I do have just a few bits of housekeeping today. If you are in the United States or if you are an American living abroad, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I usually love a big Thanksgiving, whether or not we host it ourselves or maybe we go to someone's house, but I like a a big Thanksgiving. I like to invite people who are maybe, you know, away from their families on a given year or maybe are just single and don't have a family at all. Obviously, none of that was on the table this year, no pun intended. It was just myself, my wife, Caitlin, who some of you may remember she used to do intros with me. It's been a while since she did that, but a lot of you know her voice. Uh, our two kids, our twin 16-year-olds, and our dog Hudson. I, I wasn't really, I, you know, I thought it'd be an okay Thanksgiving. I mean, I love my family, but um, it ended up just being the best day. We had the best day. I, I feel like there's a lesson there, and I learned something about myself because it was just so low stress. It did not require much expenditure of energy. Uh, I did, or we did, cook a huge meal for just four people, which I also thought would feel strange and kind of depressing, but actually it really wasn't. And it just ended up being just a great day. Wherever you are, if you do celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday, I hope you manage to have a good one in what I think by any measure has been a terrible year. (laughs) So I hope you had a little oasis of sanity there. The holidays are upon us, and I would like to just mention, I try not to plug it too much, but my book, Chef's Drugs and Rock and Roll, is available in paperback now. It's also available, as it always has been, as an audiobook or an ebook. If there is someone in your life who might like to learn about the American chef movement of the 1970s and 1980s, that is what the book is about. And I humbly suggest it would be a nice gift for anyone in your life who might be interested in that or maybe for yourself if someone gives you a gift card to 
an online bookseller. I'd also like to mention, uh, it is in the bumper at the top of the show, but I, I would like to mention again that we are now on Patreon, which is a platform that allows listeners of podcasts like this to support the show's creator directly. This show, as many of you may know, is a labor of love for me. I book it myself, do all the research, host it, obviously, edit it, mix it, write it up, promote it. I do all that. Uh, I'd love to have more help. It's one of the reasons I do ask for support on Patreon. If you are a listener who has chosen to support us already, you have my undying thanks. If you are someone who's on the fence out there and are able to do it, I want to stress that. I know this is an incredibly rough time for many of you listening. If it's something that would be at all a strain on you, please don't even consider it for a minute. But if you're able to support a show, uh, we do invite you to come in at the $5 level or higher. And you can do that at patreon.com slash Andrew Talks to Chefs. Again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Andrew Talks to Chefs. If you're able to support us, we do appreciate it. And you do get, depending on what level you come in at, access to special blog posts from me and monthly bonus episodes. Lastly, the holidays are upon us. If you'd like to do something nice for us and you're not able to become a Patreon member, you can leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. That does help people find the show and we would really appreciate it. You can also tell your friends about us on Instagram. You could just do an Instagram story or a post. You could send a group email or text. If you have friends who you think have enough similar sensibilities to you that they would enjoy the show, a lot of people have launched podcasts during this pandemic. It's it's something easy to do when you're stuck at home, uh, but it's created a very crowded field. So we are fighting to reach the ears of new listeners all the time. And we would love it if you would help us do that, if you are so inclined. And lastly, if you're not already and you are on Instagram, please do follow us. The handle is at Chef Podcast. Again, that is at Chef Podcast. And we do post every time we drop a show and occasionally we drop some other fun stuff along the way. Thanks for listening to all of that. I appreciate it. It's not something we do very often here, but since we are now in December, it seems like an appropriate time to put all of that out there. So Aaron Bluthorn, by the way, I don't know if you can hear it, but I've started, uh, I got a new 50-inch television set for my office during this pandemic. It's great for watching tennis. It's great for watching movies. It was a really good investment. And I have now the fireplace that is on Netflix just running all day in my office. So it's this giant image of a fire. And when the volume is up, it actually crackles. You can hear crackling in the background, but that is a virtual fire. Uh, I feel a little bit like I'm on the holodeck on some one of these Star Trek series. But anyway, so Aaron Bluthorn, I love this guy. Aaron's a dear friend of mine. I got to know him when he was the chef of Cafe Balud, which of course is one of Daniel Balud's restaurants in New York City. He is a great, generous, big-hearted guy. Aaron is also a super talented chef. We talk a little bit about it in the show, but the menu at Cafe Balud was a real showcase for him to do all kinds of different things. Uh, I am proud to say that he is a friend of mine and uh, one of my great memories of my life. And I, I mean that quite sincerely of my life. I talked about it when we had Danielle on the show a little while back. 
was when Danielle decided to throw me a book party to celebrate the launch of Seth's Drugs and Rock and Roll. And Aaron was largely saddled with making that party come together. The party was at Cafe Balloud. Uh, a number of chefs donated food to that party. Uh, it was quite a production. And Aaron, in addition to all of his regular work at the time, this was pre-pandemic, so he was running a very popular, busy, successful restaurant. And in addition to that, he took on planning this party and did it all with a smile, said some incredibly nice things to me uh, as we went through that process. And it was something I'll never forget. So Aaron, thank you for all of that. I should also say that I have a bit of a backlog of episodes currently, and you know it's tough to figure out who to run next, uh, but I'll tell you what made my decision easy this week. Aaron and his wife, Victoria, just welcomed their first child, their son, Gregory Christopher Bluthorn. And I want to be the first or one of the first people to welcome Gregory on the airwaves. <laughs> Gregory, welcome. Your parents are awesome. So the story with Aaron is he is originally from Seattle, Washington, uh, got interested in cooking, went to the Culinary Institute of America, found his way to New York. I'm leaving out a lot of stuff that's in the interview, like the fact that he was in a rock band that thought they might be good enough to go pro. So we get into all that in the conversation. And then uh, about a year ago, he moved, he and Victoria moved to Houston, Texas. And they were in the midst of planning, or Aaron was in the midst of planning his first restaurant, Bluthorn, which opened in the middle of this pandemic in August. We get into how that's going in this interview. You may also know Aaron as one of the people who made it to the final four on the show that Netflix had on uh, about a year ago now called The Final Table, which was a cooking competition. It was won by another old friend of mine and a friend of the pod, Timothy Hollingsworth. Uh, but Aaron made it to the final four of that, and I was very happy for him uh, as he did that as well. Anyway, as you can tell, I think he's one of the good guys. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. I do have just one quick technical note, which is that I am... Basically, you know, after all these months of being indoors and then we were doing those special reports, I think I lost a little bit of my recording mojo, some of my things I would naturally avoid. Um, I'm not even sure why some of this stuff happened, but there's sort of a clicking sound that comes and goes a few times in this interview. Aaron and I actually, I've edited it out, but we stopped the conversation to try to troubleshoot it and figure out what it was. We never did, but if you're wondering if one of us is like typing emails or clipping fingernails or doing something bizarre during certain moments in this conversation, we're not. At least we're not if we were being honest with each other, Aaron. I don't think you were. I know I wasn't. Anyway, um, that's a joke. So uh, please forgive those noises. There's also a cough or a sniffle here and there, just stuff I normally wouldn't have let happen on the air. But like I said, it's, it's, uh, I'm kind of trying to get back, get my swing back, I guess is what you'd say. Anyway, all of that said, I think you're going to really enjoy meeting Aaron. And with that, let's get to my conversation with Aaron Bluthorn of Bluthorn Restaurant in Houston, Texas. Here you go. Thanks for making the time. It's great to hear your voice. I don't know if we've actually spoken since you decamped from New York City. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Andrew. Yeah, no, it's great to hear yours. I, it almost feels a little normal, even though we're talking through a computer, but... Uh... Yeah. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Thank you for having me. Before we talk a little bit about your your 
background, your story. You opened your your restaurant, Bluehorn, there in in Houston. Yeah. You opened it exactly when? So we opened our restaurant uh, August twenty first uh, to I'd say quite a big fanfare here in Houston. Uh, it's been. Uh, it's surprising to me just to see uh, a busy dining room again and many people coming out for the first time since March or, you know, so they say. And uh, it's uh, it's it kind of took me by surprise, honestly. I thought I was opening up into, uh, you know, the unknown and it's it's been it's been really, really good so far, but I'm ex- extremely cautiously optimistic about what the future holds. And uh, there's nothing that I take for given. Uh, but uh, so far, as of yet, it's, uh, I dare I say, it's been uh, a successful opening. Talk a little bit, if you would, about, you know, you got, you moved down there. I remember seeing like renderings of the restaurant and whatnot. And then you go down there and then this crisis hits. Now, <laughs> what was the, did you, ha- I don't know what, you know, every, I just interviewed Charlie Palmer yesterday. We haven't aired it yet. Um, you know, and he's got restaurants, well, not all over the place, but in in a lot of different places, sure. you know, different sides of the country. Every, every, not just state, but every major city is really its own ecosystem right now, right? It's operating on its own right. set of rules and regulations, comfort level, um, uh, things that are recommended, things that are mandated, things you can get a ticket for, things... <laughs> You won't get a ticket for, but they really would like you to do. Just give a sense of what the home stretch of the build out and opening was. Did you have to suspend construction? Was there a moment where you considered not opening until later or next year? What what was that, you know, mid to late spring, summer period like for you? Sheer terror. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I so I, I just I, we signed the lease in December. Uh, moving along, and, and then I think I saw you right afterwards uh, at the at our our luncheon uh, over the holidays. I, oh, that's right, we did see each other. You came back for that, yeah. Super the super secret Christmas lunch that you and I both go to. Oh, oh yeah. Number one rule about the lunch: don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh oh, I might get in trouble with the mafia. So I had just signed the lease. Uh, we came back. You know, we started to get all of our ducks in a row, and then in February, I think it was second week of february we demolished the whole interior of the restaurant dining room we kept the kitchen intact so so you know i'm i'm really excited you know there was sort of like that looming uh you know virus everyone was talking about and i you know i just you know i was so excited to move forward with the restaurant so you know when it came time are we ready to go let's go uh it, it didn't even cross my mind and then um first week of March, things started to get serious. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking at an empty demolished dining room. It's not like, you know, too far to turn back now. Uh, can't really go to the landlord and say, hey, so we signed this lease and all these legally binding documents. And uh, I just demolished the entire dining room that was here before. And you know what, we don't really want to go with forward with construction. Let's go back and uh, you know, I couldn't say that. So I literally was looking at uh, this project that that was too far gone uh, to turn back. Um, we we got locked down here in here in Houston, just like everyone else. Uh, you know, um, I thought we would be stuck in our our house that that we have here, which is pretty close by the restaurant. But 
we realized that uh, construction was a uh, was an, an essential business here in Houston. And like you said, it's different in every state. So uh, we made the decision to keep going. Um, and in fact, uh, we were able to, you know, I, I was I was very happy as, as to during construction, there were no uh, there were no outbreaks or any type of uh, virus transmission. We uh, took some furloughed employees uh, from a restaurant group down here uh to uh, help us build and uh, design the kitchen. So we have, mm. yeah, exactly. Uh, we were able to really tap into some of these some of these people that were sitting at home as well and uh, get them involved and, and have them help, which uh, I honestly think made our project better. Mm. Um, you know, of course, our GM Sharif was still in New York. Uh, our CDC Chase was still in Chicago. So lots of Zoom calls. Uh, Lots of Zoom calls with uh, different uh, platforms, you know, all the different stuff you would do to set up a restaurant was done over Zoom, um, which, you know, I think everyone can relate to now. Uh, we, so we started, you know, we started the wheels turning and uh, you know, just to kind of see where this was going to end up because, you know, I remember in March, you know, there was, this was a huge deal. This was changing all of our lives, but Every whatever we heard as far as the forecast of where we're, where are we going to end up uh, changed every day, um, you know. And I think it wasn't till recently that we kind of not recently, but I'd say a few months ago that we were like, okay, this is here to stay. Um, which I think some of us kind of had an idea of all along. Um, what you know to answer the question, what was it like uh, leading up? to it and what were the changes that we made we started to realize okay we're actually going to open this restaurant <laughs> um, uh what what do we have to do in the dining room to to make it uh as friendly to health concerns or any sort of uh to block transmission or to to make it safe how do we make this restaurant safe right so we we really drilled into designing the the seating layout and uh the whole dining room so to make sure that everyone could have every table guest coming in could uh could have their distance could be if they were if the tables had to be closer together there'd be a partition or something built that seemed more intentional so we were able to i mean i remember looking at reading that article in the new york Times. do you remember that article about yardbird and what restaurants in uh uh, Hong Kong were doing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that. Yeah. I mean, they, they shared all their, their uh, plant. I mean, they shared their, their, I don't know what you call them. Renderings, blueprints, uh, mock-ups. They, they shared a lot of information. Playbook. Yeah. 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 Playbook. That's a good way to put it. Absolutely. And, and we took, uh, so, you know, the idea of, for us, it was completely a foreign idea for someone to enter the restaurant, wear a mask, Take the mask off. There, there, there's some literature, and you're, you know, added that people may or may not read about. This is what we're doing for the restaurant, and I, we, we took that to heart, uh, and we saw that this was a way moving forward. And Hong Kong has kind of been one of those, one of those spaces where you can see they were able to uh, tackle the virus in a way. I mean, you know, there's been spikes, right? But they were able to tackle the virus in a way that. Um, that it seemed like made uh, made sense. So we looked towards uh, building partitions, 
you know, people were going to wear masks inside. Uh, we were all going to wear masks 100% of the time. Uh, temperature checks for employees, making sure that uh, we were keeping everyone distance when they were working together. And then we were going to move forward. So we did. So let me rewind for just a minute. You when you talked about, you know, you couldn't go back to your landlord, right? Because you're you're a relatively young guy, you know, you and and your wife, um, Victoria, you know, you guys are starting a family. Um, You bought a you know, you got a house. (laughs) Um, You, um, you know, you just you made this move to do this restaurant. Was there in your mind? Was there like a um, uh, this is probably an older reference uh, than somebody like your age would use, but like, was there this sliding doors version of, you know, where you might've been this fall that was in your mind? In other words, if the, let's say the, the, you know, the virus had hit the U S in like December, um, do you think you might've backed out or slowed your role and waited for another opportunity in terms of the real estate? You know, uh... like, were you, were you actually visualizing an alternate reality that might have been the case if it had been a few months earlier? No, I well, it, it, no, just because that wasn't my reality, and I wouldn't really, I didn't want to really think about that. Um, mm-hmm. If that was, let me tell you, I'm sure there would be a whole bunch of different things on on the plate. I, you know, I, I think uh, there uh, there have been plenty of friends of mine who were in, are in that situation. Uh, right, I just wasn't. Uh, I don't know if I'm lucky. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell you. The jury is still out. Uh, but I, I think um, I look at it as okay. If I back out of here, I'm going to take. A, it's going to be a huge burden for me moving forward. Way bigger of a burden than um, actually opening was. So you just kind of balance what the what the uh, risk is based on, you know, because I think landlords here see other restaurants opening and being open and they're not, you know, by any means it's, it's tough. And, but a landlord doesn't care about that. They just care that it says you're open for business and that we can't, you know, give them a force majeure. So I think they, right. Yeah. They're not going to, you know, in, in their minds, there's, there's no way. Uh, right. Sure. So anyway, so that's that was just my reality, and I accepted it. And you know, we kind of set out with the mentality: well, we're going to do this, but we're going to do this the best way that we possibly can. We are going to uh, take into consideration everything that we want to, or everything that we need to, to to make people feel safe in our restaurant, and honestly, to give them a, a bit of escape from the reality of the world right now, which is, I, I, I don't know. I, for me, I wake up and I feel like it's pretty grim sometimes, you know? Right. But then you get to go to, I mean, it, it gives your, your guests that relief, but also every, everybody I know who is able to work right now in your industry is really happy to be working. Right. I mean, um, I'm sure for you, the work is the escape. Oh, uh, absolutely. I, you know, it, it was hard enough taking a step away from the kitchen to come down here and build this restaurant. I'm not used to sitting in meetings with a suit and uh, bringing people to. I mean, that's that's just not me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm used to being in the kitchen, getting my hands on food, uh, talking to purveyors, running a million miles a minute, and you know, it, I, I tell you what, the corporate life or any any type of 
any type of life outside the kitchen didn't suit me. <laughs> to the right. least. I put on a bunch of weight. I was just, you know, I kind of yearned for it. And I didn't know that I did until we did our, had our first service and I was running around and uh, completely lost myself. But yeah, no, it, yeah. it was incredible. To say. So, so before we get into how the opening has been and everything, um, tell, tell listeners a little bit about yourself. You, you grew up in the Seattle area, correct? That's correct. I yeah. Where exactly? I know Seattle pretty well. Where where exactly in that? Were you in Seattle proper? Um, actually, Bainbridge Island. So. Oh really? How do I? I must have known that at some point. That's beautiful. It's incredible. I mean, what a what an idyllic place to grow up to to anything. I mean, it, it was honestly one of uh, I I was I've always loved it there. Um, Although I, what's the, what's the population of that island? Can't be that much. 18, 18,000 right now, or maybe it's up to twenty one. It was wow. It was somewhere around uh, yeah, but it's the size of Manhattan, and it's a thirty five minute ferry ride from downtown Seattle. Yeah, and um, I mean, for me, it, it was just it's just such a paradise. I mean, I go back there. I feel like I'm almost on. I feel like I'm on vacation because you know, I just go stay at my mom's house. No, when you mention it, I mean, I years ago I spent a lot of time when I had a normal job. I had a client in Seattle. I spent a lot of time there, and um, one of the people I worked with her, I think it was her family's home, uh, but it was on Bainbridge Island. And like, and whenever someone mentions Bainbridge Island, I can still in my mind I just see like being, I mean, basically on the it's not the beach like I you know at the ocean. Um, but there is, you know, there's beaches. <laughs> right. Um, I picture like, you know, the walk we took with, you know, water lapping up on our bare feet. And I mean, it's it's just, it's just, I mean, the Pacific Northwest in general is a special place. But um, yeah, I can imagine growing up there just would have felt, it seems like a very calm place to have grown up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you're a, you're a teenager, you're going you're gonna to get into trouble and we We'd find plenty of that in Seattle, and of course, <laughs> right on our little idyllic island. But I think, as as an adult going back to visit, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I would have even imagined taking this place for granted for a second. And how did you? When did you first start tiptoeing into the kitchen? When did that start for you? Well, I I, I don't know. It, so there's one uh, diner on the island called the Streamliner Diner, and it's been there forever. It, it's still there. It's probably changed ownership a few times, but not many. Um, they are with stones throw from the ferry. So if you're coming over, riding the ferry, getting off, uh, the, the boat and then coming to the Island, walking through the little town, the first place you would go to would be the streamliner diner. And, um, I started off as a dishwasher there at 16, a uh, little bit of prep cooking, but, uh, just mostly, you know, after school work, uh, and you know, busy brunches on the weekends and that's where I got the bug. And from there, I guess, you know, it just sort of translated into the next step of my career or just, or deciding that this was going to be my career. I don't know. I found home in a kitchen, you know, I, I, I felt like this was, this was kind of the lifestyle for me. Of course, around that time was when uh, kitchen confidential came out for the first time. And uh, we were all just, you know, Anyone working in a restaurant, I remember that read that book, uh, lives changed a little bit. Uh, and for me, it was it was that epiphany. And I, I, I used to be kind of, oh, man, that's everyone's story. But no, that 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 was truly my story. And reading uh, 
you know, Tony's account of, uh, of the restaurant industry was, I don't know. I've, I really connected with it. I felt like I was one of those people that, uh, I don't know. I don't think he referred to them as lifers or maybe he did, but I, I kind of saw, I saw a path there. Right. Um, and I saw that this was sort of the, the gang of misfits that, that I fit in with. Um, because you know, when you're when you're that age, you're trying to find your identity, and and truly that was that was it for me. I mean, I tried to play music with uh, in a band, and, and tried to see if there, you know, if I could be a rock star or something. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we when I made a flyer for the party that you guys threw for my book when you were at Cafe Balut in New York, and I sent it to you, and you said this is like the flyers I used to put up around, my, you know, for my band. Yeah. Um, and that was the first time I knew you had been like a high school, you know, musician. Oh, yeah. Um, oh yeah. We had a, we had a funk rock band. We played all over. What was the name? Uh, Elijah and the lion. <laughs> <laughs> it was all. And what, what did you play? I played guitar. I played guitar. Did you, did you sing? No, not really. Maybe ever. Did you write music or were you guys like, were you a cover band? No, we wrote music. We wrote our own. Uh, wow! Yeah, we it was kind of like uh, funk psychedelic uh, type, sort of like meters funk comes uh, comes into like with a, a slight bit of reggae in there and just a little bit of everything. It was fun. We got we got horn players from the school band. We had a full horn section. Oh, it, it was it was hilarious! <laughs> wow, you managed to cull a lot of talent from the limited population of Bainbridge Island. <laughs> hey, there's, there's a lot there. <laughs> No, but I just mean numbers-wise, it's tiny. I know, um, I know. So, Aaron, you know, you talk about, you know, you use the word misfit and, you know, looking for you where you fit in and all this stuff. Like, I, you know, were you a substantially different personality as a kid than I, you know, I meet you, you know, I'm, I've known you, I've known you for a long time now. I've probably known you at least 10 years now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you're, you you strike me as, you know, you're, you're, you're a very you know, you're a clean cut guy. You're super professional. You seem very buttoned down. Um, you know, you seem like a nice young man. I would imagine, you know, Victoria's family was very happy when, you know, she first brought you home. Um, were, were you like a whole different character as a kid or did you just feel like, was it more of an internal thing that you felt, um, uh, you know, that you didn't really fit in anywhere? No, I, I was probably a lot different on the outside. Uh, <laughs> I guess maybe at one point I realized you're going to get a lot, uh, a lot farther if you don't try to swim upstream every day. Um, <laughs> you had a little, you had a little bit of a contrarian streak. You a little bit of a rebel streak. I mean, I wouldn't say I was a rebel. I'd say I was fit in with, with you know where who my parents were, and they were probably the same way. I mean, I had hair down to my shoulders. I was. Uh, I mean, I. Well, if anyone knows where Humboldt State is in in northern. California. That's where we chose to all move as a band, actually, and go to school. Uh, school did. You guys moved together as a band to go to college. Yeah, <laughs> that was a mistake. Wow. <laughs> Not a mistake. I mean, it was just what what kids do, right? Uh, so we went. We moved to to Humboldt State in Arcata, California. Uh, so you guys made a group decision to apply to the same school and go as a band. Correct. Correct. Wow. And did you were you all going to major in the same thing, or you weren't even thinking that far ahead? Uh, we weren't even thinking that far ahead. I think I was okay. in anthropology or something. 
<laughs> no, I would. So you, you, you guys must have thought you were going to make a go of it. I mean, as a as a real as a touring recording band, you must have, right? Absolutely. But let me tell you, don't don't pick the biggest stoner school in California to go try to do that. <laughs> Because that that won't happen, and it didn't. Um, I ended up uh, instead. I got a job at a uh, uh, vegetarian restaurant that was really well known there, called Wildflower Cafe. And uh, actually, you know, if if we're really talking deep, uh, it was a place that my mom, when my mom and I were going to visit Humboldt State together, we uh, it was on September eleventh, two thousand one. Oh wow! Yeah. And you guys were in transit on that day. We were in Arcata, California, and we ate at this restaurant, Wildflower Cafe. And, you know, for some reason, my life kind of every restaurant that I've eaten at or every restaurant that I've had, like one of these amazing dining experiences, I end up going to work at and work at for a long time. And uh, and I'll tell you the Cafe Balloon story in a little bit. But uh, the the one for wildflower was i we were we ate breakfast there after we watched everything going on in new york because on pacific time right so it was a little bit uh you know the the time was earlier uh, yeah it must have been what like six six a around six a.m yeah it was six a.m and then we went to eat at eight a.m at this little uh vegetarian diner um my mom's from California to, you know, it's it, anyway, I, I don't know how to paint the picture, but it's very, you know, very alternative, vegan, hippie, hippie, hippie restaurant, uh, great, you know, great food. So I remember going eating there. I don't know, everything was going on the world it just turned on its head again. And uh, I said to myself, I'm if, if I come go to school here, I'm gonna work here. So lo and behold, go to school there. Uh, get a job as a dishwasher and move all the way up in the course of six months to uh, head chef, kitchen manager, whatever you want to call it, uh, running and then ended up running the restaurant after, after a year when the, when the owner uh, was out to have twins. So I worked there for two years and got offered like a partnership at the age of 19. And I was at this huge crossroads. I dropped out of school and, uh, I decided that culinary school was the right path for me. So I applied to the Culinary Institute of America. and In Hyde Park or in California? In Hyde Park. Is there a good, I mean, in hindsight, is there a good breakup of the band story? <laughs> no. It, it, did you ruin the, did you ruin the band by uh, working, taking your, taking yourself out and getting a job? <laughs> There's no good breaking up the band story. It was just, I mean, everybody, you know, when you, when you get to college, you know, in high school, right? You're you're young and you got all these ideas, and we're going to do this together. And then all of a sudden, whoa! You open up everyone's eyes to what the real world is like, and got it. People just go it. in different directions. And so this was like the long distance high school. This was like the high school uh, relationship that the couple thinks is going to survive. Uh, you know, Ig. the first year of college, but never does. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. Even though you guys all went to the same school. So let me ask you, 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 you're working at this place. You describe it as a place that has like hippie food. Um, you, you decide to apply to the culinary Institute of America, but you know, coming from, you know, Bainbridge Island, having, you know, been in this band, uh, you work in this restaurant. Did you know, like, like the places where you ended up working were very different, right? From the places you worked as a young person. 
did you have a sense of 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 kind of what kind of food you wanted to set your sights on, or was it just um, was it not even defined for you, and you just wanted to go get an education? It wasn't defined. I knew I wanted a career in this, and I wanted to sort of search for something that would be sustainable. Uh, I realized that that life takes money, <laughs> and 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 you know, I mean, you you have to you have to make money to survive, and you know, that's one of the you know, of course, you don't. It doesn't take very much to survive as a as a young adult or you know, nineteen, eighteen year old. You know, when you're living with a bunch of people, but then you kind of realize that okay, we gotta, you know, in order to be serious about this, about being a, a chef and a cook, you gotta you, you have to figure out how to be sustainable. And I guess I realized that at a younger age, and yeah, um, and I wasn't sure what you know. I mean, maybe my idea was I just own, you know, look to own a uh, a small restaurant in California. That, I don't know, maybe, maybe similar to what I was doing. Uh, but I, my eyes weren't open. I I didn't grow up going to fine dining restaurants. In fact, quite the contrary. Uh, I I don't think I'd ever been to a fine dining restaurant before I went to culinary school, and and seen uh, any type of. You know, I I'd never tasted foie gras before. I'd never uh, had no idea what caviar tasted like or what the big deal was or anything like that. And then, you know, it, at at the C, when I went to the CIA, I drank the Kool Aid full on, full on. Uh, I think uh, you know it's like camp culinary, and you know, of course, I'd already got my partying and all that other stuff out of the way. Uh, going to Humboldt state for what ended up being a semester uh, and uh, was there to really get serious. And the more, you know, culinary school is great. Uh, It it can be phenomenal if you really dive in and apply yourself because all the tools are there. And I ended up working, you know, when I get off, get out of my classes, I go work at the school when they're in their continuing education department. And, you know, you're working for chefs and you're, you're, you're still cooking. So, I mean, I take my, what, six hour day of class and make it a 12 hour day. And I, cause I just love being in the kitchen so much. And, uh, I loved what all these chefs were kind of feeding me. And then, you know, the more you learn about, you know, I, I remember one of the first days in my skills class, I learned that the restaurant that you should be looking to get your internship at is Danielle. I was like, why don't they say Daniel? Because <laughs> uh, right. Daniel, uh, you know, that's just how sort of naive I was to the world out there. I mean, it, it was just, it was this huge eye opener. And I remember one of my, um, so I, I kind of attracted, it, I, don't, I wouldn't say attracted, but I latched on to a few of these chefs as mentors and would kind of follow them around school. And, you know, to me, they were the biggest rock stars ever. Uh up there at, at Hyde Park. And, and then one of them ended up really pushing me to go talk to Andrew Carmelini uh, to do my internship at, uh, at Cafe Balut, right? So, right. Uh, you know, that's one of the first things you do at culinary school. You try to figure out where you're going to do your internship. And I was like, oh, man. And, you know, I just heard all these, these stories about that being such a tough kitchen. And you're going to, you know, you're going to go in and they're going to they're going to just beat the shit out of you. Excuse me. Uh, I don't know if I can say that, but um, just that uh, if it's if it's okay for you guys, it's fine for me. Okay, good. Uh, so they're just going to really, you know, 
whoop you. You're going to go home crying every night and blah, blah, blah. So I, I was really into that idea because that's what I, that's what I was looking for. I, I, I ended up kind of realizing and I was like, oh, shoot, but to go work there, you got to get an apartment in New York. And it just seems so daunting to me. So at the end of the day, I ended up uh, picking Canlis in Seattle to do my uh, internship at, which mm. I don't regret one bit. I made a lot of friends there. I They threw me right on the line, which was crazy to me, uh, but a great experience. And um, the chef at the time was Aaron Wright. And he was, you know, he was very good at guiding an intern and you know uh, it, it was it was phenomenal so i lived at home i commuted on back and forth from the ferry uh and it, it was great but uh so the cafe balloon story was my mom came to pick me up uh after at culinary school and uh you know we were going to spend a few days in new york because i hadn't up until that point i think I, I hadn't really spent much time in new york if at all uh so we were going to take two days uh stay in a hotel in midtown and and she asked me she was like where do you want to go eat you know you this is this is your new career or so she saw it and uh she wanted to take me out to eat and i (laughs) said danielle (laughs) i think she i think she looked uh i looked at the prices or whatever and was like are you sure i mean we we can do this but you know this is going to be a extremely expensive meal and then so i said well you know what mom you know being being who I am, I was like, well, why don't we why don't we just go Cafe Balloud? And uh, you know, because I almost did my internship there, and I really want to see what Andrew Carmelini is getting all this, uh, you know, buzz about. So we uh, we ended up going to Cafe Balloud, and we we it was a beautiful uh, afternoon. We've gone to the Guggenheim and then walked down uh, Fifth Avenue to the restaurant. You know can't get more upper east side than that uh and we had this just incredible meal i remember i remember so vividly what i had the foie gras terrine the mushroom risotto the beet salad uh it was it was just such an amazing experience uh for me and one that always always will stick with me and and you know lo and behold then five years later i ended up working there (laughs) It's amazing. What time of year was this visit? I'm sorry that you came uh, with your mom. Uh, it, so it would have been it would have been fall. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what could be more romantic than like? I mean, just you know, romantic in the broad sense than like, you know, someone who's you haven't spent a lot of time in New York. You're on the Upper East Side. You go to the museum. Uh, you know, the restaurant uh, is you know a stone's throw from Central Park. I mean, it's just amazing that time of year, almost regardless of whether it's a sunny day, an overcast day. I mean, that is just that is such an amazing time normally in the city. Um, I mean, you must have you must have been utterly like seduced by New York. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and New York at that point, I was just, you know, you, you, you go to school upstate. It, everything was just so foreign to me because I never really spent a lot of time on the East Coast either. So uh, just kind of getting the cultural differences and even more so because i came from this bubble in bainbridge island this bubble in arcata california and then and then here so it's it was it was eye-opener it was definitely uh life-changing and very impactful now can we just and and forgive me if it's if it's too personal aaron i we don't need to talk about it at all um but can you know you've mentioned your mom a few times or people are one who are 
you know, wondering, um, you sadly lost your dad at a very young age. I did. I did. Um, he was actually alive during that, uh, whole thing, probably, uh, with my other two brothers, but yeah, I lost my dad in 2012. Um, he, he was a pilot and passed away in a hotel room, uh, having a heart attack, uh, overnight. And I, yeah, it was, it was pretty devastating. He was, uh, him and I had a, a fantastic, uh, relationship and, you know, he, he was just such a, a great human being and someone to sort of, so I guess if, if you're asking me where I get buttoned up from, he was a, he was a pilot, he was a fighter pilot in the Navy. Um, he was very buttoned up on the outside as a pilot, you know, because that's what people want to see. You had to be. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. But I, I'll tell you what, <laughs> you get him, uh, you get him talking and, you know, you let him have him let his hair down a little bit with maybe an IPA or a. Uh he would he would just you know he was just so full of life and um i guess i kind of learned how to do how to have like that dual uh i wouldn't say it's not a dual personality but like a dual uh um outgoing uh image dual image Mm -hmm. from him yeah absolutely And, and just just being a being a leader being all that stuff i i definitely have gotten from him so good Okay. Well, I just wanted for anyone who was wondering, I just wanted to at least mention. Yeah, um, so I, I hope I I hope that was I hope that was okay. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I loved I love talking about him and honoring his memory. It's just it, it's one of those things for me that uh, he, um, yeah, he's such a big part of my life. But now I'm at the point where it's been what eight years, and I, I start I start saying my mom's house, or I was with yeah. So anyway. So, but you don't go straight to work for Cafe Balloon, right? You go back west. Yeah, yeah. I went back west. I worked for Canlis at Canlis for a little bit while I kind of decided what I was going to do, and then I took a road trip uh, to uh, to the Bay Area, and I staged at Michael Mina. Uh, I staged at uh, and but I was going to do a lot more stages, but um, I uh, I ended up. Um, I ended up trailing at this restaurant, Cyrus, which was kind of unknown at the time. But I had a professor at the CIA who said, if you are going to go to any restaurant, don't go to the French Laundry, go go to Cyrus. And this was going to just to say to eat. And I took that as, okay, this is a restaurant that I want to come work at. So I I, uh, sent a blind email out. Douglas Keene, the chef got back to me and said, Hey, come check it out. We're up in Healdsburg. So it made sense. I was coming from the North from Seattle. So I stopped off in Sonoma for a night, uh, ended up staying at my aunt's who lives in the town of Sonoma, which I was thought would be, you know, five minutes away, ended up being an hour, (laughs) but, uh, did one trail and this was my first trail and got offered a job, a job as a commie took it right away. And I, I did my stage at Michael Mina, and and that was fun and great to see because that was at the height of sort of popularity there as well. But um, it, 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 I just got this great feeling of the idea that uh, living in Healdsburg and uh, working for this young up-and-coming chef uh, would be a good idea for my career. And <laughs> lo and behold, it was, it was the most amazing experience because – while while I was there, you know, San Francisco Michelin came out. We got two stars. Uh, 
we we watching Douglas uh, get reviewed uh, for the Chronicle by Michael Bauer and. You know, I was a Comey at the time when he, one of the times he came in and Doug literally beat me there, had breakfast sandwiches waiting for us at, at 6.30 a.m. and literally did everything with me, uh, the two of us together, uh, preparing for Michael Bauer as visit that night because he wanted, he wanted to see everything that happened in, in, in the restaurant and Lo and behold. Yeah, we, we should say for people who aren't from the Bay Area, unlike in a lot of cities, um, when Michael was in that job, he was a fairly easy to spot. He didn't, there wasn't a lot of subterfuge involved with his reservation. You knew when he was coming in. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So for anyone who's wondering how, what the, how you guys knew, it's not, that was not an unusual thing in, in that area. No, and he had, his first review of Cyrus was like a first uh, bite type thing. Gave ended up giving him stars, gave him three and a half stars, but said he was coming back. So Doug knew that he was coming back, and Doug Doug's biggest thing was getting that four stars. And just a, a little background on Doug Douglas Keene. He uh, got his, I mean, you know, he went to Cornell, uh, went to New York City, worked four seasons, but most uh, notably worked for Greg Kuntz at uh, Les Planas and was a part of those those just uh, like monster teams that Floyd Cardo's uh, head up with, you know, I, I, even uh, the corp, Danielle's corporate chef Fabrizio was, was mixed in there. And, you know, who else? I mean, it's a who's who of, of chefs and uh, Richie Reddington. Uh, um, all those guys were, uh, you know, at everyone who had passed through that Les Manas kitchen had this sort of chip on their, not chip on their shoulder, but sense of pride about it. I remember, Douglas, when you made it to the line, you got two Kuntz spoons. <laughs> you got what? You got what? Two great Kuntz spoons, which are, you know. Oh, wow. In, in, for those those who know, that's like in culinary lore, that's such a such a big deal. And for us well, cooks, it was like, oh, my goodness. You know, I mean, this, you know, it's so crazy how time moves. Right. Because because we lost Gray in the last year and um and we lost Floyd, who you mentioned. Um, but that kitchen, that was, you know, at a time, you know, there's never really more. I think maybe at one point there were seven. I don't know if there's ever been more than. I mean, usually there's like, you know, four or five four star restaurants in New York. But Les Benos was one of them. Gray was considered an absolute genius. Yep. Um, also considered very tough to work for. Um, but yeah, as you said, those people came out of that kitchen. Um, Rocco Despirito spent three years in that kitchen. Right. Um, Scott Bryan, um, you know, spent some time there. Um, uh, you know, people who are both known and unknown of great uh, talent. Um, a guy named Mac Greco, who's in the Bay Area now. I've lost track of him. Last I heard he was at a, a winery, I think, just north of San Francisco. Um, but a lot of people, and they were all very much stamped by everything about it. Yeah. I mean, just everything about it. It's not. It's a name that amazingly already, if, probably if you asked a, a cook, you know, in, or even a chef, you know, in their 20s now, I don't know how many people know that name. But not all that long ago, that was one of the best kitchens in the United States. Absolutely. And, and for a young, very impressionable uh, cook, uh, aspiring chef to, to just, just to even like be able to tap into some of that lineage was incredible. Like we felt 
I don't know. We felt like we had so much purpose being there at Cyrus, uh, especially, you know, and then when I look around at all the cooks who I was there with, uh, there's, there's some amazing chefs that have come out of that restaurant as well. So it's just, I mean, just to Steve Rizikowski, uh, Amos Watts, both of them are in the Denver Boulder area and own uh, two to three restaurants a piece. Um, you know, I could point, it just, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I just, I just think of my time there as being so special and uh, it, it truly transformed me. And Doug is, you know, I still keep in touch with Doug. He's uh, I'd say somewhat of a mentor um, and, and such an incredible uh, chef. And yeah, I, I have, I have nothing to say other than just incredible experiences. It was intense but that, sure. that's what we were all looking for, and that's what we wanted. Yeah. We wanted to see how early we could come in, and and how hard we could work, and how far we could push it. And I, I think the greatest thing was the fact that we only had two stars. We didn't have three, and we were pushing for three. We had something to always work towards and say, you know, this is. I don't know that that it it every step of my career, I fall back to my experiences there. So. That's great. Well, it was the right place for you. Yeah, absolutely. So then, so then you end up. He, am I correct? He, he did. He not suggest that you come work for Danielle. Am I mistaken, or is that accurate? You are, you are completely correct. So I had done three years with Doug, and I was uh, torn on. You know, I'd walk in, and and life was, you know, I I'd made that life comfortable for me. You know, I was the, I I felt like I was the, I wasn't a sous chef, but I was friends with all the sous chefs. I was the one that everyone, the go-to guy and it, it, life was, life was comfortable. You know, I, I had a, I had a good life there and uh, a good, I felt like a good position, but you know, Doug kind of saw that, okay, Aaron, you're 24, 23 years old. Uh, you you got to do something more. You can't just stay here and be a sous chef. I'd be doing you a disservice, a discredit. And he was right. You know, I wasn't ready to just, you know, stay with Doug for till the end of time, which, you know, now, now that I know, uh, now that I see it, that, that must've been, you know, not, not that I was anything that special, but it, it, it must've been tough for him to, to be able to lose someone in that kitchen that had knew everything that was so dialed in that he could just go to and count on every day. Because I, I look at cooks that I feel the same way about. And I remember what he did for me and in, in saying, Aaron, you have potential, but you have to go to New York City. Uh, the, the, he, it was almost like he wouldn't accept, you know, I said, well, maybe I could go work at the French Laundry. Maybe I could go to San Francisco. He said, no, nothing is going to give you the experience of living in New York. And I will forever thank him for that because it obviously changed my life. And uh, in, in a huge way. And if I, had, I, I think, you know, we were talking about sliding door moments. This is one of them. And we sat down and literally pulled out the Michelin Guide of New York and went down the list and listed all the, all the usual suspects, right? So there's Per Se, John George, uh, Danielle. And uh, then we started, we started talking about each and every one of them. And I remember Paul Liebrandt's name came up, and this was sort of the wild card for him. He was like, I know this guy. He's going to do something amazing. Watch out for him. I think it was when he was at Guilt, but he was looking to open Corton, right? 
And so that was that was heavy on the list. But then Danielle, when we when we looked at Danielle, Doug looked at me and I'll never forget this. He said, Danielle is a real chef. He is about uh, not only the food and the passion and everything behind that, he is about making money as a businessman and being successful. And he said, he, he said, if that's what you're interested in, ultimately, you need to go work for Danielle. So uh, that, you know, that, that sold me. We decided that uh, I would go do a trail, I'd do a week-long trail at Danielle. And we, you know, I made the arrangements. I flew out to New York. Uh, I stayed with a buddy of mine who was from Cyrus and uh, was working at 11 Madison at the time when Daniel Hoom had just started. Uh, and it, it, it was, it was, well, it was humbling. Let's put it that way. I, uh, <laughs> this, if, if we're, if we're telling funny stories, I actually told everyone this on my last day. Um, so I, I got into Danielle, super nervous, but very eager, knew that I was just going to go in there and do every job that they gave me and just, just take it out, knock it out of the park and ask for the next job and just, just be a rock star. Right. <laughs> so I go in there, uh, First, I, they, they put me on the entremet station, which is the veg station. And the first thing the veg cook does is like, here, here's a box of spinach. Still in the cardboard, everything. Blanch this spinach and uh, give it to me. So I go, I, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, everything's weird in a new kitchen. I, you know, I didn't really factor that in. So I just, I take the box, I, I lay it on the, on half of the stove and I start blanching the spinach, right? <laughs> I, I look over and half the box is in flames. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> uh, so I go, I put the flames out real quick and hopefully no one saw. And I take the box and I put it in the back. Okay. Uh, and I, I keep going. I finished the spinach. All the spinach is blanched. I'm on to my next project. I've got my head down. All of a sudden, uh, and no one who does it hasn't worked for Danielle is going to understand this, but everyone who does has worked for him, and maybe you will as well. Knows this knows this guy so much. Now Toto is someone who's been with Danielle for his Danielle's whole career there. I think even back to the Cirque, and he's the the kitchen the head steward, right? And he's an older gentleman, older Tunisian gentleman. He just so he bursts in the kitchen. He doesn't hold anything back. He goes. Who the fuck lit the box on fire? It's gonna burn down the fucking building. <laughs> Sorry, the, the language. Um, it's okay. That, that's, it's okay. That's what he said. And again, something that's seared in my mind. And I had to slowly put my hand up. Up, oh, it's the stage. And John, right. Bois, the chef, looks over at me and, and just gives me this look. And shoot, I'm screwed. So I, I honestly, at the end of the day, I think. I think I, you know, the rest of the stage went well. I, you know, I scrubbed out with all the guys left with everyone. It was fine, but I found myself the next day uh, doing a trail instead of a Danielle at the Bistro, and uh, finally, then I did. Uh, then they had me do a trail at uh, Cafe Balloud, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think they had room at Danielle, and plus, definitely not for someone who lights box boxes on fire. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> but uh, I made a connection with Gavin. Gavin. This is Gavin Kazin, who yep. was the chef. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we knew some some of the people that have traveled through the Cyrus Kitchen. He had actually sent there because of his time in California. He knew Doug. And, you know, we 
it was a great trail. And uh, I remember thinking back on the dinner that I had there uh, with my mom and just kind of laughing a little bit, chuckling a little bit that here I am. And so I did the trail and uh, got offered the job. But I also had a job offer with Paul at Cortone. And I was kind of, and then I flew back to Seattle where, where I'd moved um, in the meantime and sort of plotted my trip. And it wasn't until a week before moving out to New York, I decided, I called up Gavin and I said, is that spot still available? I'd like to take it. And he said, yes, and you're going to be starting on Soup Station. We'll see you next week. So I moved out to New York with uh, three bags of luggage. And, you know, there, there started my New York chapter. Wow. <laughs> Stayed at a friend's house. Well, it all, worked, it all worked out. I mean, you obviously, I'll have said all this in the intro, but, you, you know, when Gavin left, you became the chef de cuisine there and uh, did, a, I mean, a, just a great job. Just a great job. Um, I loved what you did with the menu there. Um, uh, we should say it was also, it's a fun menu for a chef, right? Because it's, it's forever. It's been broken up. If people have the Daniel Ballou cookbook even, which is, that's an old book at this point. Um, even back then, you can see it was broken up into these four sections, right? There's this, this is all in French, and I don't pronounce French very well. But, you know, there's the season, the voyage. Um, what is it? The inspiration? Is that one of them? What are the other two? So it's uh, tradition. Uh, tradition, right. Saison. Season. Season, yeah. Protégé from the market, or that was our vegetarian section. Right. Um, and then uh, and then Voyage. Voyage, right, which was like the cuisine of some country that you guys would play around with. Although, obviously, it came in a French package, right? Yeah. So, terrifying. Um, terrifying. Like, as a chef, that, that, that section terrified me more than anything. Well, yeah. I mean, you're in New York where the chances of either someone who lives here or someone who's visiting here being from... Uh, you know, the origin of that country or knowing that food very well is pretty high on any given day, right? I mean, Terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a real responsibility. Yeah. So I want to ask you, though, Eric, you know, you said you had to come to New York. Now, you end up working, um, you know, within Danielle's group, which obviously is a – listen, I, I say it all the time. There's If there's one person I can't be objective about in this industry, it's Danielle. I mean, he, I've just known him to be the most generous – big hearted person. I mean, it's, it's, and to be honest, although everyone's nice to me, more or less, you know, it's, it's, you don't necessarily expect the level of warmth from somebody, you know, with the amount of business businesses he has, you know, with the acclaim that he has, with the renown that he has. Um, it hasn't spoiled him at all. He's, he's, he's the best, right? There's no one but, like him. <laughs> yeah, there's no one like him. Um, <laughs> So when you but when you say New York, like do you separate uh, New York from Danielle? Like was there something? Because th listen, there's there's obviously great restaurants and and in the style you want, especially in Northern California. You know, I mean, as we sit here today, there's a couple of three stars, and I mean, you could have had the kitchen experience. No, what was it about New York? And listen, I'm a proud New Yorker. I love New York, but <laughs> what is it about New York that you say that? that you know you, you, you as, as separate from Danielle I didn't realize what I was getting into when I was going there I thought I was making a, a clear career decision and this was 
this was um, something that, uh, that that I was doing for my career, you know, that I wasn't really a New York or whatever. But, uh, you know, it could have been any city, honestly, at that point. Um, if I'm if I'm recalling my mental uh, sort of mindset at the time, it was just Doug told me that I need to go to New York. I trust Doug. I'm going to New York. It, it had nothing to do with the cultural side at the beginning. But uh, let me tell you, <laughs> it was like a boy discovering, uh, you know, a, 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 I, I can't I, I don't know how to put it into words. Uh, what I experienced, but I got this love. I, I just, I, I, I was, I fell in love. I fell in love with New York. I fell in love with the energy, the drive, the, the, the passion that's pretty much everyone in that city seems to thrive on every day. You know, the, the idea that you walk into this, uh, into a subway with, with commuters just inspired me which is so weird that I, it's something I had never expected. You know, I, you, when you travel to New York, you don't really see that you go eat and drink and go to a show, uh, go to a museum, whatever. But when you live there and every you, you have this feeling like we're all in the same boat together, no matter what you're going, what job you're going to do, you're, you're doing it at the highest level. You're, you know, you're, I don't know. It, it was just this, I fell in love with the city and I remember Doug yeah. saying, you 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 might get addicted to this and I got addicted to it full on. And it was everything. Yeah. It was the the late nights in Koreatown with, with all the cooks. It was the you know, hanging out in, in a Brooklyn bar at four AM and they close the door and you're you're stuck in there but you're you're still gonna hang out. Uh, you know, I I, I don't know. It, it, it was uh, being able to go to all these, explore different neighborhoods, explore your own neighborhood. Uh, yeah. Meet so many people that are in the same boat as you. Uh, I mean, I keep saying that same boat thing, but I, I truly feel like, you know, even even if you're tired one day when you wake up and, you know, you get out of your apartment, uh, the second you hit the street and hit that subway, you're, you're given this boost of energy and this boost of, I, I don't know. I can't explain it. And from there, it just, it, it was all consuming. And I did not see myself leaving New York. Uh, it wasn't a one stop off at, at that point for me. It was a, uh, let's do this. Let's, let's, let's get as much as I can out of this experience. So it was, uh, it was pretty incredible. Tell us about your restaurant. Tell us, uh, you know, paint a picture for us. It's how many seats and, and, uh, uh, I mean, it sounds like you're off to a, like you said, a rousing start. Right, right. It very, uh, very much so. Um, okay, so Blue Dorn is uh, a restaurant in Montrose in Houston, which is arguably the one of the cultural centers of the city. Although there's many, but uh, it seems like there's you know, the Manil Gallery is here. Uh, there's some, which is in, which is a famous, uh, world-renowned. Uh, museum uh we we have all of all of the the more chefier I, I hate that term or chef driven restaurants also hate that term are uh <laughs> are here uh chris shepherd's restaurants are close by justin Yu has a few restaurants by close by as well you know it's just it's sort of like this houston or or has been the area that people know about um so we're there 
the restaurant, we are the third, fourth restaurant to occupy this space. The first being uh, Antone's uh, Imports, which now they're, they're known for po'boys around the city, but uh, their original uh, were an European import company uh, here that uh, made delicious sandwiches. And I think if you talk to anyone, any Houstonian who's lived here for more than 20 years, they, they say, oh, you're in the old Antone space. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, after after Antones, you know, moved on and got bought and you know became a completely different iteration um, than it was then. Then uh, Scott Tyser opened uh, Gravitas here, uh, which was one of the I, I'd say first uh, uh, sort of more contemporary uh, restaurants. You know, it had they had a pizza oven. It was more Italian Mediterranean. Um, and it was different than Houston, anything Houston had seen before. And it, it made a huge splash. It was busy. It was, you know, popular with young as uh, as a whole, as well as an older generation. So there was a mix. Something, you know, it was one of the places that people tell me that that they realized that Houston was kind of catching up to the rest of the dining scene in the rest of the country. Um, it then became Pass and Provisions. The, these two chefs from actually New York had uh, worked for Gordon Ramsay, Seth and Terrence, uh, they, they opened up Pass and Provisions and, uh, that, that restaurant was, uh, was a huge, uh, mark on the culinary scene down here. In fact, uh, when I was moving down here, uh, Marcus Samuelson, uh, caught wind of it and he's like, Aaron, I got to introduce you to these guys, uh, Seth and Terrence. And then actually, uh, two weeks later, I found out, unfortunately they were, they were closing their restaurant, but fortunate for me, Chris Shepard called me and was like, Hey, I got a great spot. You should check it out. Um, and uh, some others uh, had really recommended that we check this spot out. We, 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 were, we didn't jump to it right away, but then when I got down here and, and walked the space, uh, it just seemed perfect. So it's, it's a, we have a large dining room space. Um, it's it's uh, about 2,500 square feet of dining room, uh, which is large. Uh, we have, uh, currently we have, uh, 70 seats, but, um, in a normal, in a normal time, we would be, uh, 120 in the dining room, uh, to 140. Um, and, uh, we have a 40 person private dining room. We have 30, 30 seats on a patio and then we have 22 bar seats, which is, uh, now 10. But, uh, so I really wanted to create this restaurant that was similar to maybe the size of Cafe Balloon, which, were a little bit bigger, but um, but I wanted to do something where it wasn't too precious. It wasn't too uh, you didn't there were there weren't white tablecloths. I didn't want uh, guests to feel like they had to come uh, to wear a jacket to sit down here, and it, which is which is not really Houston. I think that that sort of attracts a much more quieter, a much more I don't know. It just wasn't what I saw as uh, the restaurant that I wanted to open. I wanted to open up something a little bit more vivacious, rambunctious, uh, and in some place that I could have fun, in some place that I could see myself eating at more than more than once uh, once a year, you know? Right. I mean, I've, I looked at, I've looked at the, obviously I haven't been there, I'm dying to visit, um, but, you know, I, I looked at the website. It looks like a very uh, light-filled, airy, Yes. Casual, casual, relatively casual, but not, um, you know, it's not like, um, 
I mean, it's 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 a nice it's a nice smart looking room, uh, but it it kind of does seem like um, you know in the best I think contemporary way it seems like. You know, if you just came from the office and you're in a sport coat, great. If if not, fine. You know, um, and and your menu, I think, reflects all this, Aaron. I mean, it it does. Uh, I mean, gosh, I'm looking at it right here. Um, I mean, there's a burger on the menu. There's a lobster pot pie on the menu. Yeah. Uh, there's a st- New York strip on the menu. Um, there's uh, black pepper fettuccine with crab on the menu. Um, you know, but there are things that if I, you know, try to imagine you doing your thing, you know, there is, you know, you do have foie gras, you have a crispy pork trotter. Um, I mean, it seems to kind of run the gamut a little bit, but all it all, you know, it all does, uh, seem to hang together really well. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, the, the hang- something for every, something for everybody, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. And, and honestly, that's what I wanted to create, Andrew. I, I, I I'm, I'm so... You know, I, I think you. I, I I just wanted a restaurant where the the where you could come with your wife and have a nice date night, or you could come with a larger group and you know have a have a more jovial uh, experience where you know you can get a little bit louder and there's lots of you know it's 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 more of a celebratory or uh, I just wanted it to be fun. I think sometimes if we take ourselves too seriously and we uh, we take away some permission for people to relax and 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 just have fun, so that's that's what I wanted to create here in this in, in an atmosphere where yeah we do have a bar and you could have a burger and some fries, but it's going to be a darn good burger and fries, and uh, you can enjoy it with a either a delicious pilsner or a glass of burgundy. You know, I think. Uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at uh, with the ability to use this space in so many different ways as as a guest, and I think that's that's a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun for me, and that honestly is when you when you look at it. Like I think at, at Danielle, you can do the same thing too. You can have an extremely uh, fine dining experience in the in the in the pool, as they say, right, uh, where you're waited on hand and foot, or you could go to the bar and have a cocktail and just have a course or two. You know, I, I think I sort of got it. I got my, my tip from, from him that way. Whereas, uh, you can, you can really, uh, there's, there's a bunch of different opportunities is is what I like to call them. Well, I wish you all the best, Aaron. I'm happy you got out of the block strong. I'm, I'm now that we're past it, I can say I'm very relieved for you. Um, uh, in the, in the short term, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm knocking on wood, as you can hear. I, I hope you guys keep rolling, you know, and, and uh, before too long, I'm going to come visit. Andrew, I would love to have you down here. Just to, just to cook for you. I mean, just to, just to see you, man. It's been too long. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And that's our show for today. My great thanks to Aaron Bluthorn for making time to call in from Houston, Texas. If you are in Houston, please visit the restaurant. As you heard in the interview, I have not yet been there myself, but I have enjoyed Aaron's food many times and I can vouch for its excellence. You will not be disappointed if you go there. As always, our thanks to After School Special for providing our music. Please check out their album, Double Barrel, Single Entendre on iTunes. 
Again, please follow us on Instagram. The handle there is at Chef Podcast. And if you have a moment to rate or review us on Apple Podcasts, it does help more people find the show and we would be grateful for that. Thank you for listening and we will be back soon with another episode of Andrew Talks to Chefs.